Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler, Abby, Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my Bobby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Hello, my sweet puppies. Welcome to episode five of a few of my favorite favorite Jews. <laughs> I'm Laura. I'm here every single week, every two weeks, chatting about some of my favorite people's favorite Jews. Um, this week is a really special guest, one Zoe Sky Jordan. Uh, Zoe's a musician. I'm a huge fan of her music. Uh, have been for some time. Also a f- huge fan of her personhood. Um, I've known Zoe. I've known, well, I've actually known Zoe since I was a wee bit baby. A little wee baby. Uh, but I've really known Zoe since I was about 14. We went to high school together and she and I were friendly um, and then s- swiftly fell in love and became I would say codependent soulmates and wives. Um, I love Zoe so much. In fact, editing this episode was such a joy. It really was. I just think Zoe is the funniest. It's just the funniest, most delightful woman person I know. Um, So, you know, no shade to all the other people I love, who I also think are the funniest, most delightful people I know. But Zoe's really something special. Should we just get into I, I I'll just quickly update you guys. Um, I, I, uh, what's going on with me? Mm. Honestly, I, um, I really miss performing. I miss performing stand-up comedy. Um, I find when I'm performing, I write a lot more jokes. Um, and recently I'm not, so I haven't written much. I have written a few jokes. Um, I'm going to tell them to you guys here. Um, they aren't good. So here we go. Um, do you guys think that Schrodinger's cat felt overshadowed by Schrodinger's theory? Uh, next joke. Um, if you think you're better than everyone else, uh, you need to get off your high horse. But if you're dating a person that smokes weed and looks like a horse, you need to get your high horse off. Make that horse come, baby. Okay. Um, what else? What else? When my therapist tells me that I need to be honest with myself, um, I waterboard myself for the truth. Uh, something I really worry about with millennial parenthood is that, uh, we, like millennials all grew up with moms who had serious bush. Uh, and there's a, there's a real gravitas to a bush. Um, there's something very disciplinary about a bush. I worry my kids will not take my hairless vagina seriously. No, no one's listening to a hairless vagina. You know, only a bush can enforce the rules. So there's that. Um, what else? What else? Uh, I'm going to have a provision in my prenup that says if my husband cheats on me, then I get full custody of his mistress. And he has to take the kids. So joke's on him. He'll be changing diapers while I have sex with his sexy mistress. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, I keep one of those little, uh, organ donor notes in my pocket in case I'm found lying on the side of the road, you know, just near death. And, um, the note's going to say, Hey, I'd love some new organs. All of mine are trash, but if you find me, please steal some organs from a healthy woman and Lazarus me back to life. Listen, let's just get to the freaking episode. 
I'm in a mood, you guys. I hit a wall this week. I hit a wall this week with COVID. I am angry. I'm frustrated. I'm angry with the government. I'm angry with people I know or know of, I should say, who are cutting in line for the vaccine and not being safe and doing all the things that people do. Um, and I, I know everyone's coping in their own way, but um, like sometimes it's selfish to do that. You know, cope in your own way. So I just, you know, I'm in a mood. I just I am in a mood. I will say something that did brighten my day was listening back to this podcast episode and remembering um, we, Zoe and I at one point mentioned a bunch of uh, when we ran for student council. We, she and I ran together for the same role. Like we were going to be co-treasurers. And I don't know exactly why we did this. Like, I don't know if, if this was for the benefit of, of other people or for ourselves, but we are, we put posters up everywhere, um, campaign posters, and the posters were just gigantic photos. We had blown up photos of the two of us wearing all black and we were wearing bathing caps and goggles, swimming goggles, and I'm drowning her in the pool in, in one of them. A lot of other things are happening. They're pretty chaotic. Um, and it's not like we were so popular that um, everyone else was sort of in on the joke. Like, that is that is so Zoe and Laura. Um, it was really just, it was a risky move. And we definitely, we didn't win. I did lead to me meeting a guy because um, he noticed me on stage. Or maybe he noticed the, the poster and um, he thought, I love the way that girl drowns her friend. Um, and then we hung out and, um, I thought I lost my virginity to him, but he doesn't think I did. You know what? That's a story for another time. And I'm so, so sorry to my bubby. So let's just get started. Here's Zoe Sky Jordan. Could be nothing. It's just enough to keep me Central. Probably the smell and the the elderly and <laughs> the fact that a lot of uh, tell me if you have this hang up. I know my sister does and I mildly do. Um, like Jewish men or boys really that I at one time in my youth like wouldn't pay any attention to me. I still have a weird thing where I want their approval and so I find them sort of se- sexy even though they're objectively not i i don't know i think that there was not one hot jewish guy at our high school no and i felt i felt like you know like i felt like everyone in that high school is drawn maybe this sounds really like narcissistic it's not the way i, I mean uh, i'd say i felt like all the boys were like drawn by one cartoonist and i was drawn by another cartoonist <laughs> and it, it was so ill-fitting that you would never want those two characters. It would be an abomination to see those two characters That's get together. so funny. That is so true, especially at that age and the already dramatic difference between how boys and girls age in that in that time frame, but then also the dramatic difference between the attractiveness level of Jewish women and Jewish men. We were in two different movies. We were in two different <laughs> genres. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're so right. Because there's, I mean, I was talking about this recently. Like, I see these people now that we we knew grew, growing up, married, and like the women look f- amazing. Like, amazing. the women are stunning. And they stay looking amazing. Oh, they stay looking amazing. Yeah. They've been touched by an angel, but they're beautiful. And then their husbands are trolls, like absolute trolls. And I'm like, I guess they're in business, and that's what's appealing about them. <laughs> but they're not in enough business to compensate for what. For the disparity. We we didn't have a big pool, you know, to go off of. It was a primarily Jewish school. And then the people that were, like, deemed popular, I was easily susceptible to peer pressure. So I just agreed. Um, and you just get tricked into thinking that they're attractive. And, then, and they didn't find me attractive up until a certain point. And then I so desperately wanted their approval. So anyways... Maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You know who I have, like, major high school regret about never making a move on? Who? Jay Woo. Yeah. The body on that guy, he was what? He was a man. He was a man. He was a man. He was the only man, man yeah. at that high school. But I think he was our age, right? Absolutely, yeah. I think he was exactly our, he was in our grade, I believe. Absolutely, torture myself over it. Yeah, too bad your husband's hideous, <laughs> and your life is terrible. Doesn't doesn't my husband a little bit look have like a, a woo quality? <laughs> yes, <laughs> same a body. little bit, same body. That's true. You have a type, and you know how to go after it, and I respect it. Thank you. I let my type come after me, and that is my type. Like who's <laughs> who's coming towards me? <laughs> Absolutely, like just trash. Um, okay, let's talk about Drake. So, I'm gonna like. Here's what I'll do. I'll read you some info, and then I'll stop and we'll chat about that info. Okay. There's also it's it's kind of fun because we can sort of play Jewish geography as we go. I don't know what your connections might be to him, but anyways. Um, okay, Aubrey Drake Graham was born on October 24th, 1986. Ooh, so is he? He's a Scorpio. He is the first day of Scorpio, my first crush, also October 24th. Wait. Um, what's that? Who's your, Popovich? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I always remember it because it's exactly one month after me, but I, so I know that is the first day of Scorpio, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense for Drake. Scorpios are notoriously, like, working on something underground. My mom is a Scorpio. I'm intrigued. And she is, I guess she is notoriously working on something underground. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, wait, before I get into all this, I want to know why you picked Aubrey Drake Graham. Oh. Okay, well, um, I mean, I was a huge fan. Trying to think about, like, who, who to talk about that I really, like, that really interests me on a like current basis I guess I don't know uh, truthfully there's just there's so many great Jewish famous people to choose from but he's local and I'm recently back in Toronto so you know th- just thinking about whose hometown and what really amazes me about Drake and actually uh, this is this I, I want this on the record he's played on every single radio station he's on pop he's on hip-hop he's on r&b he's on adult contemporary like 
I, I didn't have data because the uh, my American phone got cut off because I was an extreme roamer. So I didn't have data for like two months. I refused to accept it. I was going to ask if it was the rodents somehow. What's that? I was going to ask you if it was like a rodent problem. Oh, no. No, the, the rodents are in my home. Okay. And this was sort of, I did have internet at the time, but not in my car because I, maybe it was rodent based. I don't know who, who you know, made the big call at T-Mobile to kick me off because I'm a rodent. <laughs> um, anyway, but he gets played on every single radio station, and I believe that he's going to do a country song, and then he's going to be officially on every single station. And why wouldn't he? Do you think well, that? Bob Justin Bieber's doing a country tune. Um, certainly, certainly Drake is going to do it. So I'll tell you, that's a really interesting answer, because I, so I don't know a lot about Drake. I I am uh really out of my depth with contemporary hip-hop so i had to do a lot of research to like really make sense of him i only know him through the lens of of his of the lore of drake and like him being from my neighborhood and like some of the jewish connections and stuff um and what i don't think i understood just how omnipresent he really is like what you're saying about him being on all the stations i understood Pardon? Scorpio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's around and it's it's in your face all the time. And I think, um, I knew he was extremely famous. I I don't think I understood that he was the most famous person we could possibly talk about. His, his I, all the research I have is basically just um, like uh, what year he made his album, uh, which singles became uh, Billboard Top 100s pretty much instantly, broke a bunch of records for Spotify downloads, uh, won a bunch of Grammys, and then like a year later, the next record and which of those singles were on the Top 100. He was like the first artist, I think, to beat himself out of a to- the Top 100 spot with a different song. Um, he's, he's so successful. I don't think I really understood that he actually might be the biggest recording artist of the 2010s. I, oh, I totally believe it. He's he's so successful, and he's everywhere. And like, not just in music. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know? Do you want to know who's who's like right up with him? Little little act called The Weekend. Yeah. And, and Drake like brought The Weekend up, and uh, you know, like what he's done for the Raptors. He's an actor. His like his collaborations are huge. Everything he touches turns to gold, and. And like he's got something for everyone, and it never, it never seems to um, like people don't go like, oh, Drake has changed. I used to like the old Drake. People are willing to watch him kind of morph. Yeah. And everything he he uh, does, like it, he he just grows himself. He he doesn't like abandon. I don't know. May, maybe like die hard fans. I was gonna say diecore, hardcore diehard fans would say that uh, you know they liked something more than another project he did. But from like just a your run of the mill Drake fan, I just think he you can't you can't burn him down. No, he's very good at what he does. I've uh, he I, one of the main sources of like info was this rap radar interview he did, and I forget if it was the interviewers or him. Basically, they were talking about. Um, that that is one of the reasons he's successful and has held on to fans is that he's he is always evolving he doesn't really have the most like distinct sound because he just keeps changing 
But man, is he just the hardest fucking worker. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he, he really, yeah. Like he's, he's, he really is just always evolving. Although he does always pretty much always work with the same producer, Noah 40 Shabib, who's Canadian. Um, I also could just listen to him like, okay. Again, I, I pulled from a lot of my friends who are Drake fans or rather who are contemporary hip hop fans, uh, and rap fans. Some of them are really huge fans of his lyricism, like think he's one of the best lyricists working today. Some don't. Again, I don't know enough about his music, but man, could I listen to him talk all day. His interview was like, it was like a two and a half hour interview and I listened to the whole thing and it just flew by. He uses a lot of imagery and like metaphor and he's just a very flourishy speaker. Um, Who was interviewing him? The guys from Rap Radar, Elliot Wilson. And Brian B. Miller. One of the more entertaining things of this podcast is going to be hearing me read, like, rap artists' names. B. Dot. B. There was one. <laughs> I didn't know. That there's an artist called Birdman, but I, I kept in my head reading it as Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> Your roots are showing. <laughs> Very Jewish. <laughs> But I think you're. I think you really do as a Jew. You're. You're always gonna read a man as a man as a Durman, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, yeah, like the Candyman. Postman. <laughs> <laughs> she's Grandma. the. She's the man. You know the Amanda Bynes vehicle. Was That's that Amanda right. Bynes? Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, so he's he's a Scorpio, born in Toronto, Ontario. His father, Dennis Graham, is African-American and a practicing Catholic from Memphis, Tennessee, who worked as a drummer performing alongside country musician Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, interesting. I heard a funny story, I think, maybe on Tiffany Haddish's special, or maybe she was doing an interview, but apparently Drake's dad, like, went up to her at a party and, like, like offered to like have a baby with her. He was like, I make. He's like, I make superstars. <laughs> like, I make millionaires. Like, like as if it was like coming truly from him. Like he had stock that like you could not fill. <laughs> I've it's I never it's never been proven, but I'm sure there is a sperm that is more lucrative than others. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Why not? I'd like the stats. Like you know, the sometimes stats. you just feel it, you know? But, um, total, or back to actually what you were trying to talk about before I told that wretched story. Please. Um, I think it's interesting that his dad, like, came from Memphis and came, like, was in music because I, I really feel, I feel like most, um, people who pursue a career in music had the idea of music like held up I I rarely hear musicians say like my parents hated music or like we never discussed it like I feel like to to start engaging with it as a young person to have a parent talking about it and like how I don't know even just like how cool it is or like how musicians are to be listened to and revered like I think that really makes kids pay attention and uh also to like be from Memphis home of Graceland yeah I mean, to, uh, I imagine, especially for you, um, having music held up as something of importance, but also seeing success in your parents, 
makes it feel like a more feasible career, I'd imagine. Totally, yeah. Tell us about your parents while we're here. What do they do? What do they do? Um, well, my mom did just buy me a t-shirt completely unprovoked that said sky's the limit, which is her biggest qualm. She's like, every article that's ever been written about me says reach for the sky or sky's the limit. Pick something new, people. Um, anyway, but uh, for the listeners, my parents are singer-songwriters, both Jewish, and I believe that in a former interview with the Canadian Jewish News, uh, we discussed them, and uh, there, you know, there are there are there's back documentation that one can Google and and find out, but they're they're just great, and they're still doing it. And uh, my dad was nominated for Juno last year oh last year I, I actually i feel like they canceled it they pushed it but that was really exciting because um, he's been saying for the past 20 years that like this is my last record i'm so old even though he's not he's like i'm on the edge of death i'll never make another record so like so bo- some- both of your parents sound like Catherine hepper <laughs> <laughs> they are <laughs> they're both sides of her yeah <laughs> both gemini's both uh personalities is this is this isn't his first juno nomination it is his first no he no. won a juno in like 93 but like first yeah. since then and that juno was for producing and this was so, for singing yeah which is he he's does way more singing and writing than producing so muscle tough this to like sweet recognition this is for his jazz Oh, muscle tough to mark. That makes me so happy. Last time I saw your dad, I think no, that wasn't the last time I saw your dad. That was like three times ago that I saw your dad at your wedding. He said, You look exactly the same as when you were 17. And I've never liked anything somebody has said to me more ever (laughs) in my life. No, it's not. I mean, I look exactly the same in the sense of like I haven't really changed my hair or clothing. Um, but like I'm 30 visibly, um, but you know, it really, it really, I, I would, if I was, if I was casting a movie and you came into audition for a high schooler, I'd be like, yeah. It's like the Georgians know what I want to hear. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true. Do you know that Olivia Newton-John was 29 when she played Sandy? Was she really? Yes. I mean, but that cast was hilariously old. Uh, Rizzo, <laughs> Rizzo was a menopausal woman. Yeah. Rizzo. Smoke Yeah, and not it, and like it, it's her character was so old too. Like, oh, like the characterization was so elderly. Well, yeah, like her, her thing was like, oh, who I've been. Like, my reputation, like, it was just, like, all the years I've spent fooling around, besmearing, besmearing, besmirching, besmirching, my own name, like, it was so, like, world-weary, like, for what, the past, like, three summers, Rizzo, you've been, like, kind of a hoe? (laughs) Much like we were in high school. In our uh, in our shared document where we talked about all of our failures at 17. That was, uh, well, your, your wedding speech, I think... This is my my favorite thing ever, um, and it was so I fun. Think that was how you started it, you were like, "We, I, I found a document that like 
at like all of our like miserable failures and like the time we had lost. <laughs> Talking <laughs> about our, our failed lives <laughs> at seventeen. Wait, really quickly. I also just the Rizzo thing. Um, <laughs> when she has a pregnancy scare, and and like she finds out. Uh, I think Kanik, I think she's on the Ferris wheel, or maybe Kaneki's on the Ferris wheel. Anyway, and. They're like, you're not pregnant. She's like, thank God. And I'm like, she looks like she's at an age where there needs to be fertility doctors involved (laughs) to get her. And she's like, thank God I'm not accidentally pregnant. It's like, girl, keep it. Like, this is your last chance. You're 50. You know what? I think subconsciously, I'm so glad you said it because I've watched that movie a million times. And I think I was never worried for her when she was pregnant. I was like, don't manage. How many other kids do you have? Yeah. I know. I was so young that I didn't register it, but but I understood her to be old. I mean, not to be like yeah. old. You know, she's just not a teenager. She's a she's a woman. Um, yeah, I think it works because if you are like thirteen or nine and watching that movie, you're like, I don't know. All adults are old. That's I true. Remember, like even even being like eighteen or nineteen and like seeing people who were thirty, I was like, wow. You don't look good. You look bad. And now, Definitely. I'm, now I'm freshly 30. And I'm like, yeah, it's not so old. I, I don't feel like I've aged today. That's true. The older I get, the sexier I think older people are. But when I was a kid, yeah, I thought I thought 30-year-olds were haggard. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. ready? Let's. I'm going to do a little more uh, preamble I'm about sure. all of his Jewish roots. Okay. Uh, Drake was raised... Oh, wait. Let's talk about his mom really quickly. Uh, Sandy Cher, a Canadian of Jew- Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. She worked as an English teacher and a florist. Um, in his youth, Drake was raised Jewish, as we know. He attended Forest Hill Collegiate Institute, a primarily Jewish high school, and became a bar mitzvah. According to earlier interviews... He became a bar mitzvah. He became a bar mitzvah. Um, he felt that he did not fit in at Forest Hill and was a target of racist remarks, including being called a schwarza which is a derogatory Yiddish term for a... It's actually just the term for a black person, but it's become derogatory because white people are racist, um, including, like, Jews of an older generation. Um, He said in an interview with Rolling Stone in 2014, I didn't have the worst time, but I did have a hard time. I was always the last kid to get the invite to the party. So sad. Yeah. We should say now that we both went to Forest Hill. Yes. And that is not surprising to me. So, not surprising at all, and um, I, I was thinking before, I recently finished watching all of Community. I don't even know if I liked it, but I did watch all of it, <laughs> and did you ever see it? I love Community. Okay, so there's this thing, as you know, where, like, they are, like, the only people in the school. Yeah. And, and I kind of wonder if that's what it was like at Forest Hill. Like, did it actually say it is a predominantly Jewish school? Or do the Jewish kids only talk to the Jewish kids and not even know I think that there it, are other kids there? Forest Hill, I believe, was at least 50% Jewish, if not more. And I think oh. considering we're a tiny percentage of the population, that's a, quite a high a number of people. But absolutely, the white Jewish kids at Forest Hill really took over in terms of presence and even just in terms of, like, teacher attention and, like, parent involvement and... Well, there were a lot of teachers who went to Forest Hill yes. and came back. Yes, or, yeah, for sure. Or, like, were friends with kids' parents or whatever it was. Right. And it's so funny because I was recently thinking, I like, I feel like everyone has a Drake encounter. Everyone, like, met Drake at one time. I have two. 
And then when he made it big and became a rap star, a lot of Forrest Tillers were like, you know, like he's just a Jewish kid from Forest Hill. Like he's not a rap star. Like he's putting on this rapper's affect, but that's not actually who he is. You know, we talked about starting from the bottom. The bottom is Forest Hill. First of all, his experience as a black kid in Forest Hill is not the same as your experience as a white kid in Forest Hill. Second of all, code switching is a thing. Obviously, if you grow up amongst a bunch of white Jews, your behavior might be slightly tailored towards those people. I guarantee you all of the girls who went to Forest Hill weren't born talking like this. My parents told me they were going to send me to speech therapy for that accent. Get out. something that was actually wrong with my speech. They are like, how can you go into the world like this? That is amazing. Did you ever, you never spoke with that. You always had a nice speaking voice. I never remember you like having a Jewish American, you did. Oh, absolutely. Maybe like it, maybe by like 17, 18, I kind of stopped, but. But that's the thing, like none of us were born talking like that. And all of these women ended up speaking like that to fit in with uh, their peers. It's what you do. It's just what you do, you know? Um, anyway, I thought that was, it's obviously just racism. Um, right. Well, I, I, I think in addition, it's also just as soon as somebody, well, first of all, Forest Hill is not like a place where people soar in individuality. It's not celebrated there. (laughs) It's not a place where you go to like find your voice. Um, I'm, just, I'm picturing someone from like Germany being like, I'm going, I'm going to Forest Hill to find myself. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. It, it is a place where you go to be one thing. Yes. And to survive, you stay that one thing. Yep. Um, and if you're so blessed, you go to Western. No shade. Um, but like, it, it is shade allowed. Shade, shade encouraged. Oh, shade allowed. Yeah. That sounds like a Yiddish word. I, I thought it. I thought it was a Yiddish word. I was like, "Shit aloud." Shit aloud. No, I. I shouldn't. I. I didn't go to uh, university, so I'm just jealous. I shouldn't have gone to university. Anyways, yes, absolutely. It's a. There's a. There's one very narrow path that is encouraged, and beyond that, um, he did not grow up in a Forest Hill mansion. I thought he grew up on Strathallen. He, okay, so I don't remember the name of the street, That's but we. Should, should people not? I don't. Helicopters outside his current house. Oh, and no one, no one he's affiliated with lives there anymore. He's a right. bridal path boy. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember the name of the street. It might, it might have been Strathallen. I went to a party at his house. I think you might have been there. I don't remember. I know Jackie was there, um, and I, I always misremembered this story, but Jackie told me the actual story recently, which is he lived, so he, so Drake and his mother lived in the basement of a two, oh, sorry, on the lower floor of a two-story house, and another family, I guess, lived on top. We once went to a, a party at the top, at the top house, oh. and then Jackie fell down the stairs to the bottom house, and... <laughs> It's a. It's currently a Wonderland ride when you tumble into Drake's home. <laughs> that would be a perfect like Toronto 
Wonderland ride, like tumble into Drake's home. So she fell into Drake's <laughs> home and Drake came out and got mad at her and was like, what the fuck are you doing? You're falling, falling into my house, whatever he said, and yelled at her. And we all, and everyone told that story for a while. And I misremembered. I actually thought he fell down the stairs. But everyone told that story for a while as like, yeah, can you believe Drake, the, or at that time, wheelchair kid from Degrassi as he was, right. you know, everyone knew, knew him. Um, like yelled at Jack and da, da, da. And now, I think I already registered this at the time, but uh, Jackie came to a few of my shows um, and got pretty shittered and heckled the comedians. And I'm like, oh, that's a story about Jackie, not a story about Drake. That's a story about Jackie falling down the stairs. <laughs> and yeah, obviously he yelled at her. Yeah. She tumbled into. She, she tumbled into his home. Is <laughs> somebody tumbled into my home? Are you kidding me? It's that's my home. Jackie. Tumble in your own damn space. I love Jackie, but like, you know, she, she's a little zany. Um, anyway, that they really made me laugh just crying tears. Holy. <laughs> um, okay. Drake's parents got divorced when he was 5. After the divorce, he and his mother remained in Toronto. His father, and he was still thinking, "What?" The tumbling kind. Um, his father tumbled back to Memphis. <laughs> um, this part's not funny. Where he was incarcerated for a number of years on drug-related charges. Because, you know. I'm already laughing. I know. That, I don't, it's not obvious. You can't laugh It was bad timing. I'm crazy. My makeup is running. Okay. Uh, Drake was raised in two Toronto neighborhoods. He li- yeah, you go get something while I say, say this part. He lived on Western Road in the city's working-class West End until grade six, playing minor hockey with the Western Road Wings. If we got any Wings fans in the house, say, go Wings. Um, Wings never heard of. I never knew about the Wings either. And you know we were both, what are, like, um, the group groupies of junior hockey? What do you call them? Uh, ice, ice sluts. <laughs> That's what it is, Buck Bunnies. Um, he then moved to the affluent neighborhood of Forest Hill in 2000. When asked about the move, Drake replied, we had a half of a house we could live in. The other people had the top half, we had the bottom half. I lived in the basement. My mom lived on the first floor. Oh, I see. Okay. It was... <laughs> it was not big. It was not luxurious. It was what we could afford. Um, oh, and then I, then I wrote in the story about Jackie. Okay, he attended uh, Forest Hill Collegiate Institute to where he demonstrated an affinity for the arts, first acting while an active student at the school. He later... Was play? Pardon me? Um, was, was Miss Joan his teacher? Probably. She was there for a long time before we were. He's four, four years old? No. Three or four years older than we are, so like... Very likely, very likely Miss Joan was his teacher. Uh, well, I mean, he owes her everything then, because what a lady. Loved her. She hated. Jocular Judith. Wait, let's see if we can do an impression of her. <laughs> I'm Jocular Judith? It's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. This is the first day I've worn makeup all year. Why? Just is it what? <laughs> I'm glad. It means they're having fun. Okay. He later attended Vaughn Road Academy in the city's 
Oakwood Vaughn neighborhood, Drake described the school as not by any means the easiest school to go to. Drake was often bullied at school for his religious background, and upon realizing that his busy class schedule was detrimental to his burgeoning acting career, Drake dropped out of school. He later graduated in October 2012. So basically, he was... What were you going to say? So he went to Forsell, then he went to Vaughn? Then he went to Vaughn, then he dropped out to pursue acting, but he later graduated in 2012. Okay, okay, okay. So we never would have, we never would have no. been there because... By the time we would have been, like, the right age, he's, he was already either at Vaughn or, like, fully acting. He ended up graduating in 2012. But what I found interesting is that he was, not interesting, sad, is that he was bullied at Forest Hill for being black and he was bullied at, at Vaughn Road for being Jewish. It's a very, very interesting identity that he grew yeah, up with. Yeah, well, that's, like, it's so complicated to be of two backgrounds. Two uh, backgrounds with a with very distinct cultures that beg of you to really be in them. Like, like your uh, your family, if they are of that same culture, really asks you to actively participate in it. You know, right? And, um, and, and also, like a lot of like um, uh, I I don't want to. I don't want to compare the trauma of, like, being Jewish to the trauma of being black, but I, I do think that, like, Jewish people, we we have, like, a uh, an, an understanding that, like, it's good now, but let's <laughs> <laughs> just, just, like, not fucking... Absolutely. Like, don't rest, and, and I think that there's, like, kind of a watch-your-back mentality. Um, Certainly that I was raised with. A hun- I was literally just talking about this on I think it was with Janelle's episode we were talking about Larry David and I said something like Jews are always watching their back because as we need to by the way it's oh every time you think you can rest it becomes apparent you cannot every time I think uh maybe there's yeah we're white yeah we are white and that is a privilege but seeing like the swastikas and uh, just the general anti-semitism that's rampant now in the states is like my friend Yael posted uh, yesterday for the for like a post about the Shoah. <laughs> she was like, "I took this like a few months ago, and it just <laughs> somebody had just like written like Hitler's back and like been, like on the street, like like I don't know, scary." Yeah, that's horrifying. Unless it's a Jew who's like, "You guys, heads up," but it probably wasn't. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was, like, Hitler's back, careful. It was yeah. Like, <laughs> it was, like, Hitler's back. Hitler's back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely intergenerational trauma on both, of, in both of his parents, in mother and father's cultures. Um, okay. What he has to say about his own identity is, at the end of the day, I consider myself a black man because I'm more immersed in black culture than any other. Being Jewish is kind of a cool twist. It makes me unique. Okay. What else we got? Um, we are a little twisty. Um, we can't do the twist because it hurts, but we <laughs> we are a twist. Um, Drake used to take his uncle's. Oh, wait, can I? I'm sorry. I've been working on this because I I listened to your episode with Janelle, and it really was interesting to me that she was like, "Can I say Jew?" That struck me too. And you were like. Yeah. But you know what? Because at the time, when, when she first asked me, I was like, obviously. 
And what then else I, are you gonna say? what else? What else are you gonna say? And then she said, I, "I think I said, what else would you say?" And she said, "Well, you, you know, a Jewish person or they are Jewish." And then listen, and then I listened to it later. I was like, "She's right. You can wield the term Jew so negatively that I understand asking permission to use it." She's also just like a very conscious socially, like she wants to make you feel comfortable all the time. But um, yeah, I know that struck me too. It reminded me of that 30 Rock episode where Sama Hayek uh, is playing a Puerto Rican woman and Jack Donahue is like, well, what do you call yourselves? And she's like, Puerto Rican. He was like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. And she's like, I'm Puerto Rican. What are you talking about? What else did she say? He was like, no, it just, I'm just, I can't say it. I don't want to say Puerto Rican. Yeah. Um, oh, Hi. Drake used to take his uncle's Audi and he would take a girl on a date. If he was on a date with a girl, he would take her to the Silver City at Young and Eglinton. And, oh, oh, the pickle barrel. And then to the pickle barrel. And then he would say, do you want to see where I'm going to live one day? And he would drive her up to the bridal path and say, I'm going to live Whoa. here one day. Yeah. few things about that that struck me. Wait, what, <laughs> what, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just thinking the other day how interesting it is. Is there anything less relatable than a confident teenager? To me, he's <laughs> like, I, that's literally, and yet, what what is the thing we have most reflected in the media? Confident, self-assured teenagers. That's especially. a really, really good point. That's a really good point. In general, um, I, think, I think teenagers might be more confident and self-assured these days, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, have you scrolled TikTok? I have. Not only have I scrolled TikTok, I have been deeply bullied by Gen Z on TikTok. No. It's okay. It's all in DMs. And then they, and I'm sort of, I wouldn't say bullied, but like, (laughs) they call me like boomer and stuff. They just think I'm really old. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. I, I hate to tell other, other millennials that like we are, um, not like we're old, old, old to them. And I'm like, and I didn't realize, I, I didn't realize th- how young the, the um, platform was. And I started making videos. And then this, like what I thought was another person my age or like a little younger, because to me that's who exists, right. was like <laughs> said something and then called me Boomer. And then I went to their profile and they're like 11. And I'd already had some words with them. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not know you were a bo- like a, a child, like, you know, ha- have your life, live, live your life. And he was like, lol. <laughs> yesterday that said something about um like how millennials are like like entering middle age I was like excuse me I just entered my 30s not even a year in not accepting that what is middle age would you say uh depends how long you live it's a ridiculous term that's a really good point yeah I guess if you die if you die at 20 or are you middle aged at 10 middle age should something you can only say after we know the end point that's true that is so true i would love it if you knew your death point and so you could behave like your middle age, like you could have a midlife crisis at 10 you know but i thought it's like sometimes i just forget he he's so fucking famous that like thinking but thinking about the fact that he came from like going to the silver city and then pickle barrel hmm Thinking that he came from our shtetl. Is from our really from our very wealthy shtetl. But like drunk from our our faucets, our same city water. I mean, yeah. He got the same hand. Things. He got the same hand job that I gave 
at the Silver City. <laughs> yeah, you taught someone, or you you were taught by someone who was taught by someone who gave him his first hand job. Absolutely. I created just like a hand job giving ghost at the Silver City <laughs> who just t- took my legacy. But really, like going to Silver City and then Pickle Barrel, like what is more to me? That's all I did for so many years, for so many years. And I remember going once to Silver City and then Pickle Barrel with Nats. And I was like 14 and she was so ahead of me in every single way. And I was just like so confused about how to keep up. And we went on like a sort of a double date. And one of the guys, I was like sort of, hmm? Who is she dating? Currently? No, back back then. I'm just having a memory. Uh, Well, she dated Julian. That was until way later though. That was until way later. She, She dated this guy whose name I'll absolutely never remember. I think he was like... I want to say, like, not Croatian, but, like, Slavic. You know what I mean? Um, But I don't remember. Jordan. um, uh, God, Jordan. Like, uh, I, 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 I. No, that's someone else. God, I have the worst memory for names. I don't remember who she was dating. But he had a friend. And I was not, like, I I think I, I hadn't gotten my period. I was still, um. It was right before my growth spurt, so I still had my big pot belly and my tiny tits, and my I was so little, um, and she was just like, yeah, she she was hot immediately, smoked her, and like just emerged from childhood very hot, and she would always just like take me around with her and be like, here's Laura, here's a diff- here's a guy, you guys, you're welcome. I brought her, and I'd always be like, I'm sorry. And that was the essence of uh, 14 to 15 for me. I think there was, like, a brief intersection when, like, me, the cu- the couples, like, me and Kayla, Jelly and and Nat, but then, like, you and Nat used to be a couple. Yeah. And then, like, I was leaving Kayla for you. So there was, like, there was a lot of, like... That's right. There was kind of, like, a, uh, a, a swapping. A throwing in of keys, if you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Before you and I broke off to go, like, write about our failed lives. <laughs> To dress up in scarves and, and discuss everybody in our high school in really cryptic, uh, confused ways. I wish, I wish that for each episode you could put a cover photo. You like you can't, but I'd obviously. I don't even know if I still have the photo of us running for student council. Um, like all those photos of um, of us dunking each other in the pool and everything. Okay, because there are those ones, and then there are the there's the photos that we decided so wisely to post all over the school and then there are the photos that we took instead of writing our speech and <laughs> i i've seen those i don't know they like come up i don't know i have like one still like on a computer it's like the oldest file probably in my computer um actually the oldest file on my computer is why i should stay home from school an essay by laura lebo and you have that yeah i'll send it to you I, please I send that to me there. i remember thinking it was just genius. It was for Passover, right? Yeah, yeah. it was for Passover. Classic that my, my mom wouldn't let me stay home from school on Passover. Even Why not? Because she, she, you know what, actually to her credit, she just like, she wasn't prone to the argument of like, um, all my friends are doing something so I should do it. She was like, sure. she was like, there's school. You don't go to a Jewish school, like officially. There, school's happening. Go to school. And I was like, but all my Jewish friends don't go. And she's right. Now that I'm older, I'm like, she was right. Like, why should I stay home just because it's a Jewish holiday that I don't celebrate at all? Yeah. 
But the oh. the essay was very powerful. But you know what? Now I I'm actually remembering. So I, a few moments ago, I wasn't sure was Forsell really that Jewish. But the couple times I did like drop in on Passover or something, there was like. Nobody it was a death town. That's part of what my essay alludes to is like right. how scary yeah. it will be because and there's no one there. It. And it's all going to be just like the Christians left and I don't want to, you know, anything horrible to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know how they can be with one Jew around. Okay. Um, at the age of 15, this is another fun Jewish connection. I kept finding them. Okay. At the age of 15, eager to begin his career as an actor, a high school friend introduced Drake to his father, an acting agent. From a royalty check that he posted on Instagram from his Degrassi days, it appears, well, it doesn't appear, it's his agent at the time was Noble Kaplan Abrams' talent. Norbert Abrams, like one of the big, the titular, um, is my mom's neighbor. He, he's lived there for like 30 years. I've known him since I was a, a little kid. And I'm pretty sure, I wanted to be a child actor too. And I'm, I'm either... We all did, of course. Hmm? So, we all did. Of yeah. Yeah. We being those of us who ended up in entertainment, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, I thought that was, like, very interesting. Okay. Uh, the agent found Drake a role in the Canadian drama series Degrassi The Next Generation. Drake portrayed Jimmy Brooks, a basketball player who became physically disabled after he was shot by a classmate. When asked about his early acting career, Drake replied, My mother was very sick. We were very poor, like broke. The only money I had coming in was from Canadian TV. He appeared in a total of 100 episodes from 2001 to 2008. Wait, my mother was very sick? No yeah. info on that? Like, mentally or physically? I'm guessing physically. Here, let's see if... I couldn't find much more on this. Drake, mother, sick. I suppose it doesn't really matter. I was just curious, like, what he meant by that. It doesn't specify. It doesn't specify. He, I don't think he wanted to say much. He's a little... He's like... He's kind of private. He's kind of. Unless he's having a party upstairs. What's she sick with? She Jackie <laughs> rolled into her and she broke a rib. Internal bleeding. It's funny. Also, not funny. I keep saying funny when I mean just notable. But that Canadian television was like their main source of income. Like, woof. You don't want that. Um, it's not the most lucrative. Well, uh, so one other, one other, uh, kind of connection is that, uh, my aunt was, like, one of the original, um, like, on the production team. I think she did all the sets and maybe all, all the costumes. I think it was pretty hands-on deck, um, for the original Degrassi. Oh. And, um... And she was going to use one of my baby photos in Degrassi. Like, there was, like, a scene where somebody, like, thought they were pregnant, a, a, a Rizzo situation. And they, like, saw, like, a photo of a baby, and that photo was going to be me. But I, I was cut, unfortunately. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Who? That, that's show business. I learned at an early age. Yeah. Who, who got the part over you? What baby? I, I think a different photo. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry, though. That's really hard to hear. Um, okay. This is... See, I'm really enjoying this because we have so much to talk about that even though there's, like... See, the thing with Drake is, like, as I said, all the research are just his, like, vast accomplishments. Um, he's actually pretty private. I mean, I think but some of the more notable things to talk about with him are... Uh, okay, we'll talk about his early career. So, 
After becoming musically inspired by Jay-Z and Clips, Drake self-released his debut mixtape, Ram for Improvement, in 2006. According to a Jewish Geography Connection, he had a lot of help making connections and getting financing through his uncle, other family members, and family friends. So, like, he was quite supported. I don't think, like, entirely financially by any means, but, like, people helped him meet people. He also, from all the interviews I've, I've seen of him, he's somebody, he's very uh, emotionally and socially intelligent. He's somebody that I think could easily navigate, like, that part of the industry, even from a young, even from a young age, you know? You know, there's also this weird, we're in a weird space right now where, like, uh, and with the recent success of Lana Del Rey's newest album, like, these conversations are happening again, but, like, what do we expect from artists? Do they have to be, like, cross-section them anyway the most authentic living every moment of what they portray like when Drake says start from the bottom now I'm here okay so he had an idea for a song it it was great and he wanted to do it does it need to be a complete autobiography of, of or like accurate to like the bottom of the world like what bottom just it's the bottom relative this is the like what we're talking about about middle age like he he skyrocketed to fame does it matter like how low he was before it's so stupid and that's like anyway it's I, I completely like, agree with to... you yeah I completely agree with you I completely agree with you I mean first of all um his success in in rap as a Jewish Canadian was an anomaly uh, firstly started from, the, started from the wrong country now I'm here for real though that. for real though what is what he in, in the rap writer interview he talks about how like Toronto was known as the screw face capital because you couldn't, like, unless, if you started here, it, as any kind of artist, musician, actor, comedian, whatever, um, you, your, your content was given the, the screw face until yeah. you succeeded in the States. And then, and only then, would you, would you get an opportunity. And he seems to think that's changing. I was actually curious to ask you what you thought. Like, in comedy, it's not. In comedy, it has not changed. You, you get no opportunity here. Unless you have been recognized in the States in some way. Maybe, maybe it's changing by this much, but very little. Maybe changing with, um, uh, like, the, the social media, like, with your TikToks, your flip-flops, your, your Facebook grams. Your bim-bombs. Your, bim -bombs. Bims. <laughs> your quim -quams. Um. Bim-bombs. I mean... Here's the thing, like, social media is actually, whereas it used to be that you could find some success on social media, which would then parlay into actual fame, actual fame now exists within social media. Right. Influencers, especially the young ones, that is, their, that's what they're looking for. They don't give a shit about network TV or, like, yeah. radio play. They could give a fuck. Um, I still care. I still care that to me that's still yeah. what looks like success because that's what I came up with. And especially in comedy, stand-up comedy is a live sport. Ugh, I hate when people... I just didn't know what else... To, what other word to use. I've but never heard that before. It's a lot... It is a live... It's live. It, it matters. It, 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 it doesn't exist online, you know? And yeah. so, like, um, you... Yeah, like, comedians are crazy because I hear comedians be like, yeah, like, I perform every night. Like... What no no musician can perform 
every night or like do multiple shows a night like forever that's just wild well that was certainly you know like when you start when you do open mics but then when i was doing mics i was doing them all the time but point being that um for us success really only exists in the live arena and that really only exists once a live once a live performance has been televised on network tv right you know to me that is success that is success in stand-up there's just no other there's no other form of success Comedy is also... Or a streaming platform, sorry. Like, co- like uh, comedy it can happen on social media in a way that drama can't. That's really true, too. Yeah. But that is more sketch comedy, improv, character-based stuff, which I, I, I love, all of that. But stand-up in particular is really... Unless I really am one of those people who's like so entrenched in, in the old way of thinking, and maybe maybe stand up can exist purely online, um, but to me, well, it, even the name. I mean, stand up. Yeah. In front of people. Yeah. But like, really, but really, you're the person standing in a room full of people. It's yeah. Implied in the name. And crowd work is like such a big part of stand up. Um, I am I am so conscious recently. Like I see all these goddamn millennials on TikTok. Like denigrating Gen Z and, like, making fun of them and talking about how, like... Is Gen Z the younger ones? Yeah, they're they're the ones currently being marketed to. We're, you and I are just aging out of, like, people marketing to us. We've got, like, about that four... That so alive and yeah. so free. Yes, absolutely. That's why. Unbelievable stuff. Really, true, truly freeing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's almost like there's a frequency that I can now hear that's always been... But I didn't have the, there was too much noise. There was too much space. There, was, there, there were too many Cosmo girls uh, saying, <laughs> you know, like taking up that like emotional frequency for me. And all of a sudden I just like, I look in the mirror. I like what I see. I like what I think. I, I like, I just, I don't know. I've only been 30, as I said, for a few months, but uh, it feels like home. It feels just I amazing. love being 30 so much. I'm almost 31. I love my 30s so much. So much. I just really do. I don't know if it's just, if it is just time. I don't know if it is maybe, I mean like marketing me, I was so, so overblown that everyone's being marketed to all the time, but we are no longer that key demographic that like they're, sorry, we have like four more years left of that. But anyways, Gen Z, um, you know, I, I see millennials on TikTok, like, talking about how our our pop music was better. And our... It's like, how, how embarrassing are you, first of all? Yeah. Yeah. It's so gross. Our pop music was not that good, firstly. Our pop music was probably historically the worst. Worse. The worst. I mean, Certainly worse than our pri- pri- prior generations. Yeah. But can I say... Okay, this also... This is about Drake. I feel like uh, nobody talks about this. It's not said enough. When Drake came out, I was like, is this the new Craig David track? This is just Craig David. Were you a Craig David fan? I mean, Craig David. Oh my god. Okay. I'm thinking I'm thinking of that small <laughs> famous boy that you said I looked like. Who am I? Who am I thinking of? That little <laughs> that little famous boy. <laughs> hold on, hold on. He had red hair. This is oh the Daniel Cook. <laughs> You did. Oh my God, Zoe. I won't let you gaslight me about this. You always told me that I have the same facial spacing as Daniel Cook. I promise you. 
I don't, and then I would be like, no, I like don't. That somebody who's high might say. <laughs> probably. don't, I was probably just recognizing like, oh, you're, you're two white people with symmetrical faces and clear skin. Like, you, he's a, he's a small redheaded boy. Yeah, he was. So yeah. Daniel Cook. But you always like, said oh. that we had the same face spacing, like that our, our features were spaced out on our faces in the same way. No, it made me. No, it made me laugh. It was such a you comment that that you would even note something like that, like because I'd be like, I don't look like him, and you'd be like, no, no, you don't like look like him, but you have the same face spacing, and it's just like a human being, the general one mouth, two eyes kind of thing. Mouth, mouth lowest, eyes highest. Whatever you thought. It was a very high thought. It was probably a high thought. Um, yeah. Anyways, I don't know who... And now I'm thinking of Daniel Craig. Who were you saying? Da- Craig David. Craig David. Craig I don't know. Okay, do you know the song? I met this girl on Monday. Took her for a drink on Tuesday. Yes. We were making love by Wednesday. This is fucking drink. Check him out. Okay. He had, little, he had the little beer that Josh had famously in our relationship. <laughs> Which is probably why I dated Josh. Because I loved Craig David. I loved him. One of my, it was one of my three CDs. So, he was pr- prior to Drake. Oh, yes. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know why I say it like that. But, um, but I'm sure, like, must have been influential. And I, I think it, they should do a song together. I think okay, you heard it here first, folks. Craig David. <laughs> What's his name? Craig David. David, David, he's British. Craig David and Drake, similar sounds, um, both chin straps, get together, do some kind of mixtape, maybe some kind of mixed beard, maybe some kind of Whoa. facial facial hair collaboration. I would love it, and I would love for the cover um, artwork to be like half of one face, half of the other face. Classic stuff. Do they have similar face spacing? Could it work? I mean, I think so. Let, you me, lo- let me look. You look that up while I read the next paragraph. Okay. This is Craig David. Oh, he's hot. Yeah, he's hot. Okay. Um, okay. He, I mean, Lil Wayne gave him his big break. Basically, he, um, I think he, he sampled, he took something from a Lil Wayne song. And then Jazz Prince, who's a Canadian rec- uh, producer, sent that to Lil Wayne, who invited him to, was it Houston? Where did he invite him to? Um, Houston, and they started, they recorded a few songs together, and then that's, like, how we got his big break. Although he didn't sign until much later. Um, yeah. Much later. What am I talking about? Like, later that year. Um, <laughs> he didn't sign immediately. <laughs> um, okay, what what can we say? Uh, Billboard, Bidding War, he signed with Young Money in 2009. Uh, his musical breakthrough was with Thank Me Later, which was album pardon such great album titles really good album titles um uh maybe i'll read them all like together at the end because they are really good and they they really are brand i mean album titles are so important and people who name their albums after their own name get out of town stop it right now stop it stop it especially your first album it's like get original name your last album after you well, it, it makes it feel like you were filling out a form, and then, you know, it's like, like, don't fill this out if same as other thing, and then they just, like, use your name again. Like, it, it was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to call it. It looks like a mistake. 
That's such Morally a funny. Lebo. Like, because that's also like what the cadence of it is when you're reading it. Yeah. It's like Laura Lebo. Laura same Lebo. as above. Shipped to, ship to same address as billing. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, okay, wait. I want to talk about this because, okay. Uh, his debut album, Thank Me Later, was released on June 15th, 2010. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Uh, the album became the top-selling debut album for any artist in 2010 and featured Lil Wayne, Kanye West, and Jay-Z. According to Drake's blog, it was dedicated to his friend, Corey Mintz, who passed away in a car accident. Remember? Corey Mintz? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's very tragic, but it's very beautiful that um, Drake, he and Drake were friends. He died in a car crash in, I th- he, oh God, I think 2008. Uh, he was very young, like 20, with three other pe- two or three other people in the car. One survived. Anyway, um, I didn't realize that, that they were friends or that his album was dedicated to him. So that's Wait, really cool. What the crash that happened, like... In Muskoka. Yeah. Tiny. I know. I went to school with so many kids who died in accidents. An unbelievable amount. Especially because there were only six kids in my first... Well... <laughs> so... <laughs> that's so crazy. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the next school had a lot of kids. It's not like the first school was. They all died from the first school, which was only six kids. No, like God, God willing. Jesus. Like four. Primarily drunk driving accidents, or just like car accidents. No, like every kind of accident, like coconut to the head, like all just crazy, like horrible, horrible. And I just wanted to mention that because it's such a sad thing that happened. But at least he has this like really cool legacy that. Drake, Lee Drake's first album was dedicated to him. Yeah. Um, okay, Drake hosted the first OVO festival in 2010. It would soon become a regular event during the summer with the Molson Amphitheater in Toronto playing host to the festival on its annual cycle. Um, okay, basically he just kept releasing hits. Uh, Take Care was uh, his second album and it also skyrocketed to the top in every conceivable, every conceivable way. Oh, this made me laugh. Um, Andy Hutchins of the, of the Village Voice called it uh, a carefully crafted bundle of contradictory sentiments from a conflicted rapper who explores his own neuroses in as compelling a manner as anyone not named Kanye West, which feels like a very Jewish compliment. Totally. Very. Like, stunning neuroses. Very confused. Yeah, and like so, just like really grappling, <laughs> needlessly verbose, and like just going on and on, and then like lifting up neuro. Each sentence. Pardon? Is that an eighteen-page sentence? That this is just that whole review is just <laughs> <laughs> all of this. Um, it singles Marvin. It, uh, in terms of its singles, Marvin's room went gold. Headlines went platinum. Uh, Make me proud went platinum, and the motto popularized the term YOLO which would go on to be like a very big theme of his, like his, his lyrics, whether, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but they are almost always, the, uh, one lyric off of one of his, off, an, off his album goes viral as an Instagram caption. He's very good at writing either to the zeitgeist or maybe the zeitgeist adapts to him. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. But people, well, he, he certainly knows how to coin a term. He really does. He really, really does. I don't know. It must be intentional, right? Yeah, yeah, but also I think it's probably just his style. Like, yeah. like he's like Quincy Jones. Like, he, just everything he touched turns gold. This is what I mean. Like, yeah. the, he, the way that he, uh, like, can, uh, like, bring things up and, like, make them 
all that they could be. Like, the fact that you can, like, literally add words to the dictionary and, like, kind of, like, change. I don't, I don't know what, so much about the Raptors, but, like, really, like, kind of change their image. And what is the six? Okay, that's my only thing that I don't love. The six? Is that from 647 or 416? 416 and 647. You're not alone. You're not alone. Hold on. He got into like an actual feud with. Hold on. I have to find this because that's so funny that you like don't like this too. Oh, Tory Lanes. Okay. Uh, Drake comparing himself to Mark. Da da da. It was also da da da. Okay. Tory Lanes was unhappy at Drake for popularizing the term six when referencing Toronto, and that turned into them like making diss tracks for each other because Tory Lanes just like hated that, which I think is very funny. Oh, let's talk about his feuds while we're here. Okay. Yes. And just like his drama in general, because it's important can to talk you, like, about. Uh, producer, can you add like a da 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 or like some sort of like mm, yeah some sort of sound? Okay, We're ready? Okay, ready? Let's talk about feuds. In December 2014, Drake was punched by Diddy outside the Live Nightclub in Miami, Florida. I love punchings. Wait till you hear though. Punch. A punching. The altercation was reported to be over Drake's usage of the instrumental for Zero to 100, The Catch-Up, allegedly produced by Boy Wanda for Diddy, before Drake appropriated the track for his own use. Hold Boy on. Wanda's Toronto too, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's a Canadian producer. Um, he helped produce his one, one of his first mixtapes. Um, this is my favorite part, though. Drake, sorry, it's not funny, but it is. Drake was later rushed to the ER after aggravating an old arm injury during the dispute, which is the most Jewish thing about him. I was just going to say. Right? I told my sister. It's an old injury, and I've just aggravated it. I'm not in active pain now, but it's aggravated. It's it's brought up some old memories. It's just like... I want to get on top of it. In, like, the most, like, one of the cooler, like, a, a fist fight with Diddy, and you have to go to the hospital for aggravating an old injury. It's just so, Jews, aggravating old injuries for millennia, you know? Can I, can I just say, on that note, um, I married a non-Jew whose mm. family, like, never complains about body pain. Yeah. They're, they're missing out. Because if you don't complain about body pain, how do people accommodate for you? And then and, and they do hurt themselves. So Absolutely. And if you don't if you don't complain about your body pain, where does all the pain go? <laughs> you gotta let it out. If, arm, if a if a shooting pain happens in my arm and, and no I don't complain about it, it did it ever arm. shoot in the first place? No. Yeah, no, everyone needs to know it's and it's also just something, something to talk about. What, are we going to be silent for a moment? No. If there's a silence, I know where to, f- I know, I know a surefire way to fill it. <laughs> Just scan the body. See what I can come up with. <laughs> scan the body. <laughs> so true. Oh, I thought that was so funny. Poor him though, because he's, he's actually, I think he's had like a shoulder and any issue. And he's like several times had, they've, they, he's aggravated old, old injuries several times. Yeah, of course. Try the he is a Jew. I mean, he is a Jew at the end of the day. I mean, you, you know. I found a knee pain. Good luck. <laughs> I would love a new knee. Okay. Anyways. Um, okay, so that's uh, his fight with Diddy. In, tw- in July 2015, it was alleged by... Okay, so this is like his big... Actually, no, this is probably his biggest feud, the one that like a lot of people talk about. His feud with Meek Mill. So it was alleged by Meek Mill that Drake had used ghostwriters during recording sessions for his song Rico. This preceded further allegations that Drake did not help in promotion of the album. 
Actually, this is his second biggest feud because his other big feud led to the revelation of his child. Anyway. Um, okay. We're still on the Meek, Meek Mill feud, though. Dude Mill, okay. Ba ba ba. Uh,. This proceeded further allegations that Drake did not help in promotion of the album due to Mill discovering the ghostwriting. This prompted Drake to, re- to respond with two diss tracks titled Charged Up and Back to Back in the space of four days. So he he put that to bed with the, the double diss track. I love, like, bringing the audience in. That's really something that's missing from my genre is a diss track. I've actually tried to write a few diss tracks. They're too vague. They're too vague in my genre. Yeah. I would okay. love to hear a diss track of, of another genre, though, for sure. That would be Wait. so it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that yeah, isn't sorry. just, like, I, any genre. I, I find them very hilarious. Like, like conceptually to me, I didn't quite understand them for a while. Um, because I was just, like, they're literally just, like, being mean to each other with rap. And they're all, they're all yeah, they're all the same. They're all just, like... One, it's actually, like, if musical, if, like, telling a story in a musical, like like character development is here it's like very close even though it's on the other side of the loop what so like okay it's a circle and like we start here with a musical character development like this is like a diss track okay it's basically the same thing even though they would appear that they're far away but it's a circle is that not i know what you're saying but i think i just when, when i first heard that they existed um and it felt so they always felt so earnest to me and like like I, I forgot that someone had to sit down the, between the time of like a, a imminent anger about this person. You'd have to sit down, write the track, produce like it's artist. It like or how should I put this? Um, it's a performance. Like right. obviously, it's not just you being like, oh, "I'm mad at you. You're mean and stupid at rap." And then someone else is like, "You're also mean and stupid at rap. I'm mad at you." Like like it takes all. The- you're stupid and rap. I don't like you. You know, like that's what it felt like to me. And then, and then as I was like, oh no, no, no. Obviously, I mean, it comes from real beef, but the performance of it is the point. Like it's like it's not just silly being mad at each other. A lot of a lot of like self awareness and confident and confidence to be like, this is. I'm going to use my personal hurt through the lens of my like character for the public. And you, the audience, already knows about this beef I have with this person because, because like especially rap right now is so hugely popular that paparazzi and and like journalists and fake journalists are so up all of their asses. Like there's already all these rumors. They might as well come out and perform the truth or their version of the the truth. Um, okay, so that one's really interesting. Perform and truth. pardon. Perform the truth. I may as well perform the truth. Perform the truth. I'm here. I'm just blowing my nose off camera because it's spring. Yeah, yeah, no, you do that privately. That doesn't need to be. You don't need to perform that for the audience. Perform the truth. That can be a private performance. Um, Okay, then his other big... uh, Oh, well, this one's more of a reconciliation. This pissed me off, I have to say. Um, So, okay, he and Chris Brown had beef for a while over Rihanna. Fair enough. Rihanna and Drake? Yeah. Like, ends up together? I mean, they, they were together off and on for, like, years. And he, like... Oh, really? I, okay. I thought they just worked together. No. Well, they've been, like, rumored to be off and on for years. He, like, professed his love for her very publicly when he gave her an award and she was sort of turned off by it. But he's oh. deeply in love with her and, like, says it all the time. Oh, no. oh okay. But this, yeah, but this pissed me off. So, 
So he and Chris Brown had beef over Rihanna, and beef is such a understatement. I mean, Chris Brown physically abused Rihanna, but then they 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 made up recently and like made some music together. And in the Rap Radar interview, he explains that the reason they reconciled, hold on, I have to read it because it really bothered me. Um, on June 8th, Drake appeared on Chris Brown's single, No Guidance. Drake and Chris Brown were allegedly involved in a physical altercation in June 2012 when Drake and his entourage threw glass bottles at Brown in a Soho nightclub in Manhattan, New York. Chris, Chris Brown tweeted about the incident and released a song criticizing Drake weeks later. In his Rap Raider interview, he spoke about how the reason he finally linked up with Chris, in spite of their beef over Rihanna, was because was because their beef was, quote, silly. Actually, what he said was, really, when you break it down, you start to feel silly because it's girl stuff, but obviously that can snowball into real shit. That really bothered me. Um, like, like uh, hitting a woman is just like silly girl problems? Yeah. I didn't like that. Again, that that was hopefully taken a little bit out of context. I watched that whole interview. Oh, really? Yeah. It was pretty in context. And, like, listen, I don't... No, it's fucked up. It's it's not it's not good. I don't like it. Like, just that he reunited with him at all bothers me. I don't... This, this whole... I, I thought that Rihanna and Chris Brown were also on good terms. They are, but I think there's... Good terms between an abuser and abusee often means... The abused person um, is, you know, uh, have you heard of fight, flight, freeze, and fawn? The fawn response of, like, it's a trauma response, which is to be overly um, kind and sweet and complimentary to actually, like, ease some, in the hopes that you'll calm that person down so they won't, like, do anything bad. I think that, I think that abusers are always abusers. I have a pretty strong feeling about that. And I think if you've been abused often just out of cognitive dissonance it you don't you no one wants to be like an abuse victim and that's like primarily who they are and you, so some people don't especially when you're brianna and you're associated with so many other incredible things i think you you're like that wasn't real like that wasn't a thing that was just like a, an old thing so like we're good because if we're good that means that was not a real big problem that's not who i'm who i am what i'm about like whatever I think it's different for a, an abuse victim to be in touch with their abuser. I think there's a lot of trauma response reasons for that. I think when dudes keep supporting dudes who abuse women, it fucking sucks. It just makes me really mad. Agreed. Okay. I, I mean, we've already covered, like, so much. What else can I say? Um, okay. Like, he's basically just recorded... Every fucking year, he has an album that goes to number one. A few singles go to number one and reach platinum status. And then he gets a Grammy nom. And he's had, I don't even know how many wins. Three or four. Who cares? He doesn't attend the Junos, right? He's never been to the Junos. He won a Juno really early in his career, I think in 2009. Um, And I don't know if he went, but I don't think he currently attends them. I might be wrong about that. I don't know. That's something funny. Like, I feel like the Junos, like, honor a lot of people who, like, refuse to go. I know. It's so Canadian. So Canadian. We have, like, real little sister syndrome. We really do. You know what would change that is if we honored our talent locally. Like, God, this fucking... I I understand we're a smaller country, but we could build our talent, our local talent up so much more than we do. It's so pathetic. You talk. Yeah, 100%. We just... I mean, like, Toronto specifically... I only realized this when I was living in Nashville. When a city is based around um, a 
certain industry that sets the tone of the city. It never occurred to me. I just was like, Toronto's so diverse, and we have people who do everything here, and people from everywhere here. And I'm, I realized, no, Toronto's a finance town. We're, we're a finance town. That's a great point. <laughs> yeah. So we do things that make money, and we don't uh, keep venues open and have people do paying residencies for a week to work on their art. Very true. Absolutely not. That's really true. And we don't have, although we're a finance city, we don't have the kind of overwhelming wealth that allows us to, like, nurture a creative industry, I guess. Or maybe it's just not a value. Old old institutions in the same way, like old arts institutions. We have the ballet, which is great. It is. I do do love the ballet. I love the ballet. It's a beautiful... Um, that's really true. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto is ultimately, uh, a, like Bay street is the, is the yeah. most important street in, in the city. Totally. I think also, yeah, there is like a real, um, a lack of trust because we don't have the most firm sense of identity. Um, we don't trust our own talent. Like, like we, yeah. we're not, we're not sure what's good or not. Um, according to us. So we wait for the States to identify, our identity for they're like yeah that person that you have in your countries is a good is a, a talented person what we what we don't understand is like they're not saying they're a talented person because they perfectly reflect your identity they're just saying they're talented let them thrive yeah and yeah and and like the constant like crushing like who do you think you are like they're like don't try too hard like sometimes sometimes uh i'll hear some like can con on the radio that is so not ready for radio. You yeah. can't even believe it. Like, is this a voice memo? Like, holy fuck, what are we even listening to? But the truth is, it's like no one can tell. <laughs> I don't know why? Like, sometimes, sometimes the music is world class, and then sometimes it's like, is this even a song that could has it started and will it ever end? Like, that's how it feels. It's just so bad. But. I don't, yeah, I think you're right. It's a real lack of trust. It's a lack of trust. Okay, um, let's talk about last feud, his push a T feud. I think that's important because, whatever, long story short, uh, he had, like, a feud with Pusha T, um, and uh, Pusha T released a diss track that basically revealed that he had a secret son this entire time. And sorry, this entire time. No, he's, like three now or something his name is uh his name is adonis and number one <laughs> it is like a really intense name but kind of cool um his son adonis was born october 11 2017 so it's not like he's been hiding it for that many years but but a lot to french painter and former model sophie brusso her painting is pretty good i'm not very art savvy but it seems like it's good um, her pregnancy was the subject of several rumors after featuring in a TMZ article in early 2017. After the nature of the pair's relationship was discussed in the story of Adidon, I'm so... Drake confirmed his fatherhood on the album Scorpion in 2018, citing a desire for his child's privacy. As he says on the album, I wasn't hiding my kid from the world, I was hiding the world from my kid. That's like... I don't know enough about him or the situation to know how true that is, but that seemed, but uh, that's legit. If if so, like, God, could you imagine being that famous and being and having to worry about your child's privacy? Yeah, and also, yeah, absolutely. 
and also like um if like if somebody would come if you have the kind of people in your scene or in your life or in your industry that are like going to out the privacy of your kid in a song for their own like fame and fortune like imagine yeah, yeah that's, that's a really sense. good point yeah he ended up being very right about how fucked up shit can get I told my booby I would swear less. Um, okay, let me see. I think there's... I I don't want this to be too long, so I'm going to wrap up, but I want to see what else I want to talk about. What were you going to say? I just said hi. Oh, hi, Bubby. Okay. He currently resides in, a, in Toronto in a $100 million estate that he nicknamed the Embassy uh, in the Bridal that's Pound. That's not even that expensive for Toronto. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I pay per month. Of course. Yeah. Um, that's so That's so true. I guess he bought, I guess he bought the property in 2016. I don't know. It's, it's definitely a big, it's definitely a big old house. Um, I love, okay, this is what he says about his current, like where he's at in terms of finding a relationship. He said, I love my space. I love my work. I love my routine. And for me to break that for somebody, it would have to be a really special person that fits into that puzzle and is supportive of what I'm doing. Someone who has taste in music, somebody I get along with so well that when we're separate, I feel like I can't function without their presence. That's codependency, babe. Uh, I, I'm just about to say. Right? Actually, I learned a really interesting, interesting thing. Interesting. Uh, the one time I went to uh, Codanon, or is it just... Uh, what's it called? Coda. I think they call Coda. it Coda, yeah. I didn't... I, Codanon, I guess, is redundant. Um, that being codependent, I famously am, like, so... I mean, I don't have to tell you how codependent I am. So, uh, for the listeners, she just slowly closed her eyes and nodded. Some you maybe know this, but it surprised me. Being codependent is like about making people need you. It's not about you being the needy one. I always thought, oh, I'm not needy because I always partner up with somebody who is a bottomless pit. One of names, but like, <laughs> you know, who like constantly needs me. That so they're they're codependent. I am just around. But apparently that is being codependent. Who knew? I had the exact same. I, I never even considered the term codependency as a label that could apply to me because I am, I'm a very independent person and I like, I need a lot of space from people. Yeah. It all it really boils down to is that when, when I'm with, some, when I am with somebody or in my existing relationships, um, my sense of well-being is is almost entirely dependent on theirs whether i'm with them or not whether i've asked for like 10 days space or not if the reason i asked for that space usually the reason i need that space is because their emotions have been so potent that they've completely changed my emotions you know um anyways drake i think you have some codependency stuff you might want to work on absolutely and and uh coda is anonymous it is my dog growling at me. Oh, did I, oh, honey bear. Honey bear. Did anyone else like trip or fall or slam, punch? No, okay. Well, Drake tumbled up into success. <laughs> yeah. Tumbling up. Failing forward, tumbling up. <laughs> okay, I want to play really quickly two truths and a lie. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to tell you three things about Drake. Two will be true, one a lie, you guess. Okay, one. Or A, I shall say. His uncle and my uncle once went to a cottage of a mutual friend and his uncle pushed mine into the lake for being annoying. <laughs> okay. 
Two, sorry, B. He once crashed a bat mitzvah in New York City and performed at the event. Okay, C. His uncle played bass for Sly and the Family Stone. Where's the lie? He did not crash a bar mitzvah. He did crash a bar mitzvah. No Sly and the Family Stone? He did. His uncle was in Sly and the Family Stone. Well, no one was pushed off a dock. No, that was a very specific lie I made up to denigrate my uncle. My poor uncle. I, I've been talking shit about uncles in general, and one of my uncles thinks it's about him. I shall never say if it's about a specific uncle or about the concept. Huh? That's just like just like so vain like you could have any number of uncles um baby i am swimming in uncles <laughs> got nothing but uncles i open my i open my coat and i just have a bunch of uncles like in my pockets every size every i don't know size really every... one religion but all kinds of sizes all kinds of ages all kinds of you want boundaries or none you know <laughs> I got a bit of both. Occupations. Occupations. They all have the same. Are you kidding me? They all have the same occupation. Uncles. They're all. They're all uncles, which is their occupation. Um. Bring honey, so I can say thank you to both of you. Okay. Um. Go bye, honey. Well, I'm gonna let your mom go anyway. Thank you so much for doing this. It was so fun. This is really fun, and I want to know a couple things off camera. May I just shoot you text? I mean, it, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, I'll turn off the recording and then we can talk. Huge thank you to my guest and one of my favorite people in the world, Zoe Jordan. Uh, you can check out her music on iTunes or check out her website, zoeskyjordan.com. Follow her on Instagram at zoeskyjordan. This show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We're distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo and Twitter at Tweebo. Follow the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. They also have a brand spanking new website at thecjn.ca and tons of other really, really cool podcasts including a brand new 10-minute newscast called the CJN Daily. So if you like your news short and quick, check it out. Uh, please make sure to review the podcast. Uh, even if you don't like it, say something mean. That's okay. It's okay to express yourself. It still boosts us uh, in the ratings. And be sure to subscribe. It really helps us out, and we're nice. Bye.